0: Hello people and welcome to the new season of ReporterCast. We were on a break to get some feedback and that work is still ongoing but so much has been happening that we just couldn't stay away any longer. The format of ReporterCast will change a little. We'll soon bring out a short weekly wrap-up of the main two or three news items in global financial crime and corruption and their intersection with human rights and politics. The big monthly interview with Someone who has made their mark in this field will continue as before. And in this case, we've got two people who made their mark. So there we are. For today, we have a brilliant topic, one that remains obscure, but is increasingly important both socially and for the finance sector, uh, crypto gambling. I got into it last year covering a company called Stake.com, which is huge in crypto gambling and also sponsors football teams such as Everton and Watford at one point, Formula One, Contact Sports and others. It is also endorsed by the celebrity rapper Drake. I did two investigations into it, one on Reporter.London and the other one in The Guardian with Rob Davies, a Guardian reporter, highlighting deceptive marketing practices, lack of accountability and poor controls against dirty money, as well as other allegations, all of which the company has denied and the regulators did nothing about. But as I dug into this company, I found that, if anything, the crypto gambling industry as a whole has the same problems and in some cases they are a lot worse. So here we have two top academics from the University of Bristol, Philip Newell, and from the University of East London, Mayra Andrade. They have researched and written an excellent peer-reviewed paper and other articles about this subject, which I would argue are groundbreaking in terms of their findings and the depth of the research and I think they deserve more attention. Today they are going to discuss this work and the way forward for policy and the consumers targeted by this industry. We're going to talk about the so-called government white paper on gambling, just proposals for regulations of, of gambling, which came out last, uh, last week, I think, and uh, it, it did so after uh, multi-year delays. Uh, welcome to ReporterCast. Thank you for taking the time.
1: Hello, I'm Philip. Um, it's mm-hmm. great to be here.
0: Yes. And uh, so, can you talk about yourselves firstly, and what you do for a living, what uh, kind of academic work you do, how you got interested in crypto gambling specifically, and um, I, uh, I suppose, what, uh, what what attracted you to to the world of gambling in in general? Given that I I think you're a psychologist, aren't you?
1: Uh, yeah, sure. I'll, um, I'll go first, if that's all right, Myra. So I am currently a, a lecturer at the University of Bristol. Um, I've been an, an academic studying gambling uh, for about 10 years now. Um, I was actually interested in gambling for a, a fair bit before that, before I got into academic research. So I, I got in, into, into the world of gambling around 2003 or so. Um, there, are, there are two main reasons uh, why I find gambling research just so interesting to be involved in. Um, firstly, it's something that changes very quickly. Um, and, you know, crypto gambling is a nice example of this in that, um, you know, crypto gambling in just a few years has gone from something which is just, you know, a few simplified toy games on the internet um, that, you know, only Uber geeks would be interested in um, to being this absolutely massive commercial thing, which is, you know, like like you're saying, sponsoring Premier League football clubs and sponsoring uh, massive celebrities such as Drake. Um, you know, that's really only come out in the last few years. And the research that Myrick and I have done on it is, you know, really one of the very few pieces of academic research that have been done looking at it. Uh, obviously, I'm very aware of, of your own investigative reporting um, on state.com, which is uh, very nice work as well. Um, and then the second thing is, I guess, related is that, um, you know, gambling, it's just something that's, it's, it's, it's important to a lot of people, you know, um, gambling disorder is something that uh, really affects the people who suffer from it. And it also gambling also harms a broader um, section of society than just people who've got gambling disorder. And you really can't say that um, about a lot of, um psychology research so for example that you know there's a there's there's a whole subfield in psychology where for about 30 years psychologists have been debating um whether putting a pen between your teeth makes people happier um and the idea here is that um putting a pen between your teeth it kind of simulates um smiling and so the idea that they've been looking at is um you know, usually people smile when they're happy, but the idea in that research is that instead, if you can sort of force people to smile via the pen, maybe that makes people happier. And um, there's been people researching either side of that for 30 years or so. And um, the thing is, even if it does make people slightly happier, putting a pen between the teeth, it's not a big enough effect to have any sort of real world relevance. Um, Whereas, you know, all all the aspects of gambling that I I like to research are things that really affect people's lives.
0: Mayra, how about yourself?
2: Yeah, um, I'm still uh, graduating uh, this year from the University of East London. And I started uh, doing research in this area of crypto gambling in 2021. That was part of a uh, internship that I was uh, awarded and I ended up um, really finding incredibly uh, interesting and important work. So I stayed on it uh, longer than I was uh, expected to and I've been working with uh, Philip since. And the plan is to continue to expand uh, uh, this area because like I said, there isn't a lot uh yet and and it's it's important uh it's important work and just by that one paper there was uh a lot of interest we uh were able to present uh the paper to uh a number of uh in a number of uh, places and international conferences and conferences here in the UK as well and you can see that people want to know more because you don't see a lot about uh crypto gambling in the in the main uh, mainstream media um one uh, your reports are one of the very few that you can uh, can find and um uh, the reason I, I i got interested in gambling is actually uh quite interesting because i grew up in brazil where gambling is mostly illegal it has been uh, for many many years And I didn't, I didn't grow, I didn't grow up, uh, with the experience of like seeing gambling ads on TV, for example. And when I moved to the UK, it was quite a culture, uh, shock because I I remember actually uh, making the comment, wow, there is a lot of gambling on on TV, isn't it? It, I wasn't used to seeing that. But the, the funny thing is that once I got into university and, um, started learning about gambling disorder, I realized something that in my family, a very close relative, uh, clearly experienced uh, compulsive gambling for many years, likely a gambling disorder. But because gambling is quite a taboo subject in my country, um, and it's oft- often associated with uh, illegality, because people do it, uh, you know, behind the scenes. It was never talked about, so I got really interested in trying to understand uh, how these people can can be helped and and understood better, especially in my country where gambling's been uh, reintroduced now. We have sports uh, betting uh, since 2018, but very little research uh, and one clinic for gambling disorder for 200 million um, um, population. And um, when I started doing the work with uh, Philip on crypto gambling, I think the main thing that stuck with me is uh, the lack of understanding of how widespread it is right now, especially amongst the young people. And I really saw that there is very important work to be done there. So I'm really, really excited to start looking at this more so we can paint like a more clear picture of what is going on because there isn't uh,
0: much right now absolutely and um well thanks for that that's uh, that's very interesting and i can relate to that um i had a close family member who was um, a, a a serious gambler and a problematic gambler shall we say and again in, i'm out of romania and um, in that country there's not much support not much research and, um, you know, the world of crime and the world of gambling tend to t- tend to be close to each other. So um, there is that. And actually, I saw that Philip played a bit of poker. I did a bit of uh, a bit of desk based research into him. And I just wanted to ask, um, you know, first of all, how um, how how he's finding um, um Uh, poker these days and whether he's a fan of edward norton because i'm i'm crazy about edward norton's films and especially about that one film about poker called rounders and um, maybe philip can explain whether whether that film is is a good illustration of of the world of poker for us
1: uh yeah thank you thank you that's some uh good good digging up you've done of my history so um yeah, I suppose that's what I was referring to when I said that um, I've been involved in the world of online gambling for longer than my research career. So um, I got uh, very um, involved in online poker um, sort of roughly around when that all started exploding, um, which I'd say is around 2003. Basically, what happened is um, in 2003, you'd had like these online poker sites just starting up. And um, this accountant from Tennessee sort of um, won a seat at the World Series of Poker in Las Vegas, which is a $10,000 buy-in tournament. He won it from this um, small tournament online where he only put in $80 or something. And basically, he ended up beating all of the pros in that tournament and um, coming home first and winning about $2,500,000. And his name uh, happened to be Chris Moneymaker. Um, which is just really the perfect name for like a complete amateur to have and then win millions of dollars being the pros. Um, And so that was also the time uh, around about then when poker was first being televised. So 2003 World Series of Poker um, was shown on television. Um, So, you know, the whole world got to see this. And online poker really had this huge boom starting then in 2003. A lot of recreational players got interested in it. Um, and then I suppose um, there were also quite a few uh, geekier people, such as me, who um, sort of saw this as a potential way um, to, you know, live the dream, making money, playing poker just from home. Um, in terms of films, you know, there have been a, a lot of poker films. Um, I've got to say, yeah, Rounders is really one of the best um, it's um, I think it came out shortly before online poker was a thing. And that's probably a good thing because um, in-person poker is just a lot more sort of um, either glamorous or gritty or just generally interesting than online poker. You know, online poker is, um, I guess, a lot of young people sitting at home clicking buttons behind their computer, um, waiting for their <laughs> computer to beep at them. Um and you know it's um it, it's what we what we say in poker is we say that playing it professionally um it's a it's a very hard way to make an easy living. Um, you know, it's something that seems very glamorous, but um actually it, it involves an absolutely huge huge amount of work um to be able to make any money from it at all. And in In general um if you were going to make money from playing poker online the sort of early 2000s were definitely the best time to do it and that was when recreational players were as um, sort of maximally interested in it there's a lot less interest from recreational players these days and um, obviously we're 20 years on and the professionals, the people who do want to study the game and um, try and make money from it, they've just got so many more tools. It's it's become so much more sophisticated um, in the last twenty years compared to where it started off. Um, so I think you know, for example, to play poker at the very highest level nowadays, you know what you really need is um, a lot of assistance from artificial intelligence based tools. Um, so a lot of people are aware that, you know, in, in other games like chess and Go, that computers nowadays are far better than the best professional players. Um, but I think something that people are less o- aware of is that exactly the same is true in poker. Um, and so a lot of top professional play in poker nowadays, um, since Rounders, has been, is, you know, staring at a computer screen, looking at what, like, the computer's... Output is saying would be a good way of playing and um, trying to approximate that as well as you can. Um, I I hear that you know there's there's been rumors of Around Us Two being in the works for some time. Um, A lot of poker players would love to see that because you know that 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 film had you know did have such a good depiction of poker, Um, but we'll see. I mean, a lot of other poker films just have the most real, unrealistic things happening. So, for example, the James Bond film, Casino Royale. You know, I think in the main hand there, it was something like a, a royal flush beating four of a kind or something like, you know, just this ridiculous setup where two players have unbelievably good hands. You don't really see, see that um, in poker. Like, that's not very, uh, a, a very realistic thing. Um, there was another film that came out a, a few years ago called Molly's Game. Uh, that was also quite realistic. It had a really nice um, depiction of what poker players call tilt. So tilt is when um, a player who, who who might be otherwise good, who might be otherwise profitable, sort of gets unlucky and loses a bit of money. And this loss sort of gets them emotionally and they start playing just far crazier plays that they wouldn't normally in this sort of craziness. Uh, leads to a cycle of more of them losing more money and um, going on further tilt and sort of losing losing it psychologically to an even greater degree.
0: Right, very interesting. And Maya, how about yourself? Do you play any games, poker, anything else?
2: No, at all. Um, again, uh, like I said, because I I I, did, I wasn't exposed to a lot of gambling uh, growing up. Um, there was just one funny situation that I can remember. I think I told Philip uh, this story before. For some reason, when I was around 13, uh, living in Brazil, I was able to buy a, a spread card with a friend of mine uh, from school. And straight away, I won like 10 reais, which is about two quid. And I was so excited. I spent all of it trying to win the maximum price which was about 100 pounds back then uh, i think i i learned my lesson then because i never gambled again um i've never been inside a, a a casino uh to to when i started working uh on on gambling it was quite um a learning curve to understand uh how gambling works especially here in the uk uh the products that people use the most uh, even understanding odds when it comes to sports betting. So it was quite a a fascinating uh, experience to to learn about how everything uh, works. And um, when it comes to to movies, I grew up uh, watching uh, Hollywood movies. So the whole idea that I had about gambling in casinos is, like Philip said, very glamorous, and um, you have to be very intelligent to be able to, to to play poker well. And I can't do math to save my life, so I never even attempted to to try and, and learn poker. But I do enjoy movies that that uh, like that. I find them uh, quite entertaining. I'm not sure I ever believed it is actually like that, but uh, it has been quite um, an interesting experience to to. Do gambling research and basically start from from scratch, from zero experience with, with
0: gambling. Yeah, I have to say, for for me, my my experience of poker comes mostly from films rather than real life. I know the rules, but I never really got into it either. And um, so, back to the serious stuff now. Actually, this uh, this article of yours came out on a website called The Conversation. And it was slightly critical of the government white paper because um, it seems to me that the government um, took advantage of the fact that crypto gambling is supposed to be technically illegal to basically um, uh, not address any aspect of it in this white paper. Now, how uh, how do you see that? And um, could you summarize the article a little bit for us, please? Uh, Mayra, why don't you start? Thank you. Yeah,
2: sure. Um, yeah, I mean... You, th- there is nothing related to crypto gambling, which in a way is, is, I would say it's understandable because it was supposed to come out two years ago, right? And crypto gambling wasn't what it is today. Um, I don't know if there was even any effort to, to look into it, uh, as, uh, the, the, the white paper kept being delayed. Um, that is probably related to the fact that there isn't enough research yet. But like we say in the article, being so hyper-focused on making sure there is this amount of evidence when there are indications that that could be issues, uh, especially when you look at the amount of, of money that is being, uh, invested by these companies in, in, marketing and online, uh, advertisements. Uh, like I said before, especially with, uh, streamers, uh, Drake, for example, allegedly, um, I don't know if it has been confirmed, but around a hundred million a year, I believe. Um, one top streamer uh, that used to stream on Twitch, um, he said it himself that he got paid three hundred and sixty million dollars to play for um, for only sixteen months. Um, obviously, stake is not doing that out of the kindness of their heart. Uh, there is return there, um, so I think that should have been enough for them to at least consider what could have been uh, what could be done at least as an initial step. But it wasn't, uh, unfortunately. There was nothing there.
0: Philip, how about yourself? What do you think? um yeah uh thanks
1: like i um i think you know we'll maybe get to this a little bit later like i think there were a lot of good things in the white paper um there were a lot of areas where you know they they have sort of announced some really progressive things compared to the current status quo um that i think a lot of people are frustrated by but yeah the the whole crypto gambling thing is is something that we note um In the conversation article uh, which didn't appear at all and um, you know a a big part of this is just the sort of slowness of the government process I guess compared to the speed with which the gambling industry continues to evolve Um, so the government's white paper is called high stakes um, gambling regulation for a digital age and um, basically what they're referring to it's a reference to the last time the government did anything substantial about gambling regulation, which was uh, the Gambling Act 2005, which was enforced in 2007. So basically, the last time we had gambling legislation in the UK was before a, before the smartphone was invented. You know, the first smartphone was the iPhone, which um, uh, came, I think, the the year after that. Um, and basically, you know, in, in the UK. Um, you know, that, that's why we have just sort of such a lax approach to gambling because, uh, you know, in the mid 2000s, the, the government was like, right, you know, let's let's let the free market um, work. Let's just allow gambling to occur much more freely compared to when it was. Um, that was when, you know, they sort of implemented widespread gambling advertising for the first time. Uh, prior to that, you know, a lot of people's only experience of gambling would be bookies on the high street which before then had to have um windows that you couldn't see through Uh, whereas after the gambling act came in you know that's when you start to have gambling advertising on tv and you know the bookies could start putting um sort of attractive posters in, in their windows for the first time um as but basically what we say in the conversation is that the government in their current white paper, the current things that they're doing, they're basically looking at um, the online gambling industry as it appeared um, sort of two years ago. You know, that's when um, stakeholders, um, academics um, and charities and everyone, that's when they submitted their evidence for the current government white paper, right? And when that evidence was submitted, crypto gambling, you know, really wasn't a big thing. It sort of happened since then. So I'd say the government is doing a really good job on regulating online gambling as it appeared to them two years ago. Right. And all of the, you know, perfect evidence that they wanted to sort of make decisions like the evidence that was submitted then, like they've done a really good job on, but it's, it's changed since then. And crypto gambling is a really good example of that. And I mean, I, I don't... Yeah, I don't want to criticise them too much because, I mean, basically what I would say is one of the really tough things with gambling is it's something very complicated, right? Um, most people don't understand it well. And, you know, I've had conversations with various policymakers, makers, um, you know, sort of a bit similar to what Myra said, right? So, like, these are... Um, you know, not just random people, but sort of policymakers who are, um, you know, meant to be influencing how how uh, new regulations are being introduced for gambling. And I've had, um, for example, one of these people come up to me and say, oh, can you explain odds to me? I, I, I don't know how odds work, <laughs> right? And that's that's a, a, a crucial part of gambling, I guess. It's just so, so complicated and you know, um, I think we, we've, Myra and I have had a lot of frustration with this particular piece of work because, um, you know, the findings of the research, are, you know, if if someone properly understands them it, of the crypto gambling research, really shocking. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get to this a bit later, but the consumer protection is really, really weak. And it's it's far too easy for people to buy crypto and start gambling on these sites. But... There's just so much complicated stuff that has to be explained for policymakers to understand. And it's, it's, it is it is just really hard for them to keep up with um, such a complicated and fast-changing world.
0: Right. Well, I suppose that has a lot in, in common with, with the financial sector because... Um, there, there tends to be a lot of very complicated and risky finance going around that uh, regulators uh, don't really uh, don't really understand until much later. But Myra, can I get you to talk a little bit about what you found in the government white paper that you thought was good, and you know what the government can build on for maybe reforms that might hopefully not take another generation or half a generation. I mean, I, I agree with with Philip
2: that. I wouldn't criticise them too much. I think uh, there are some really good uh, changes. But I, I, I'm, I'm trying to be cautious because there are still consultations coming. We're going to have to wait and see. Um, I would I, I would definitely say that I, I probably expected a little bit more when it comes to advertisements, if, even though football is now saying they will uh, ban it, that there still lives quite a lot of options, right? Uh, Not only for crypto gambling, but for advertisements. And I'm not sure there was a consideration of very innovative ways that that you can advertise today uh, online that might be even more effective than uh, football uh, shirts, right? So that is one thing that I would point out. But other than that, it's it, it has been uh, welcomed and the changes that, that that are being made. But I think everyone right now are holding their breath a little bit, just hoping that it will stay uh, as close to what has been presented uh, by now as possible.
0: Right. And Philip, what, uh, what were the, the top things that were good and um, and, and sort of uh, welcome for you in, in this white paper? And uh, where, where should they go next, do you think?
1: Uh, sure. So there are, th- um, from my perspective, three main changes. So the first one um, is what's called the statutory levy. So um, essentially gambling research and treatment, these are funded by the proceeds of gambling. At the moment in the UK, um, they're mainly funded through a voluntary levy. So the gambling operators uh, currently donate voluntarily. They they try to donate around 0.1% of their revenue. um, But for some operators, it's less than that. Some of the big ones have said they're voluntarily donating 1%. Um, But that money, however much it is, um, is used to fund gambling treatment and gambling research. So the statutory levy is probably going to be at a higher level, uh, 1%. So that's more money. And then the also, um, the really important thing is that that money um, is being forced. So it, um, the the gambling industry won't be giving the money voluntarily anymore. They'll have to give the money. And then the money that they give is going to be in- independently administered. Because uh, there's been a lot of problems, um, mainly in gambling research, where, you um, you know these funds are, are sort of given to researchers voluntarily, right? And so the gambling industry can decide what who which, uh, which researchers they're going to fund, and also which topics that they're going to fund for those researchers to look at. So historically, they've tend to fund um, topics which are looking at sort of individual level explanations for gambling disorder. You know, uh, the gambling industry they really like this sort of neuroscientific research into, you know, the brains of gambling, of disordered gamblers, right? Because this is something that distract, distracts attention from other drivers of gambling-related harm. Uh, one, uh, one of which which uh, features in in the white paper is, is basically the sort of what we call in gambling research the structural characteristics of gambling. So this is just... Um, the way that gambling products are designed nowadays is actually another thing that can really drive disordered gambling and gambling related harm. Um, we sort of, we know m- most about this in terms of electronic gambling machines. So for example, uh, the FOPTs in bookmakers, which um, the government imposed a maximum bet of two pounds on back in 2019. But, um, Electronic gambling machines are so harmful because basically you can bet a lot of money in a short space of time, and after one bet has been realised, you can then make another bet, and um, these sort of this this allows for sort of se- um, high 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 speed um, sequences of gambling where people end up losing a lot more money than they want in a short space of time. Um, But these structural characteristics of gambling, you know, it's also very relevant to online gambling. You know, you can get, um, you know, roulette games on your mobile phone, which are just as fast um, as, you know, bets on an electronic gambling machine. And also there's, you know, you you don't have the bet limits in online casino games that you do um, now in FOPTIS in bookmaker shops. Um, so there, there's a number of things that the government um, is sort of announcing that it's going to do in terms of uh, online gambling product design. Um, one of the things that they talk about the most is, is imposing a, a corresponding stake limit for online slots, which are which are like the online casino game that's the closest to electronic gambling machines in, in bookies. Um, I'm hoping that um, there are some other sort of changes that they're going to do um, in terms of online games more broadly. Um, I've got some research looking at, for example, the speed of play in sports betting. Um, so, you know, nowadays you can bet very quickly uh, on a football match um, as well. And I think slowing down that, that pace with which you can bet in online gambling would be beneficial Um, And then the third main thing in the white paper uh, that really struck me um, was that they're going to do some things about safer gambling messaging. So um, I think almost anyone who's seen uh, a gambling advert would have seen um, one of these messages that they have at the bottom. So for a long time, um, these messages have been sort of um, designed and controlled by the gambling industry and, Basically, when they control the safer gambling messages, which are trying to warn people about gambling, um, you know, what do they do? Well, of course, they come up with messages uh, that are very anodyne, that don't actually really strike home that hard. So for a long time, the main message used was when the fun stops, stop. And in the main version of that message, they have the word fun um, in much larger font size than any other word in the message. Um, and this message, for example, sometimes it's flashed very quickly at the end of gambling adverts on TV. And a lot of people have told me that when this is done, basically all they see from the safer gambling message is the word fun. (laughs) Um, Like that's the thing that really, um, that you really notice from that. Um, I've done the, the only independent evaluation of that message and, um, What that research showed is that um, saying when the fun stops, stop. If that has any effect on on gambling at all, it's actually to nudge people to gamble slightly more than if you didn't say anything at all. So since since that research came out, the gambling industry has switched to another message, um, which is called take time to think. Um, So now on gambling adverts, they say take time to think. Um, And that's something that's a message that sounds a lot better, you know, like, at least they're not saying gambling is fun. Um, But I've done some other research evaluating that message as well. Um, And basically what we did is um, um, we sort of gave people an an online roulette game that they could play with. And we either showed them the message, take time to think or not. And one of the outcome variables that we looked at was their speed of play, how fast they speed they played on the online roulette game. And um, funnily enough, um, telling people, take time to think, it, it actually didn't work. It, it, you know There was no reduction in the speed of play. They didn't play any slower at all when we told them that message and when we gave them no message at all. So um, I, I'm, I was really glad to see that um, basically what they're going to do is they're going to take control of Safer Gambling Message design and implementation away from the gambling industry. So um, now the gambling messages are gonna be um, a bit closer to what you see in tobacco. So the gambling messages are gonna be independently designed and there's gonna be a range of messages and um, the gambling industry will be forced to sort of cycle between these messages. Um, And that's actually an approach that Australia has, has implemented from March of this year So in Australia, the message always used to be gamble responsibly. Um, But now they've got a suite of about eight messages, I think. And they're they're, they're a little bit harder hitting. You know, they've got things like chances are you're about to lose, um, things like that. Um, uh, And that's definitely a step in the right direction in terms of, um, you know, getting a bit more public awareness around the harms of gambling um there's there's a lot more in the white paper it's you know hundreds of pages long but uh, those were the three things uh, that i'm happiest about for sure
0: all right well that's that's very good and also because uh, i'm sure a lot of people won't have time to read the white paper so i, I i'd like them to hear it uh, from you um from the experts now why uh, the, the reason why i got into this in the first place was because i i track financial crime i write about it and, um, you know, there were, over the years, there were a lot of instances of, you know, gangs and stuff like that using casinos and, and bookies to launder money. And then it turned out that the same was happening online. And, um, with, with the article we did, we found that, um, the crypto casinos uh, out there can be an off ramp between real money, you know, dollars and euros and pounds and, you know, government money and the crypto industry with very few questions asked. So I opened one account with, with the company. I put some crypto on the account. I didn't gamble at all. And then I drew it back at the other end. And, um, you know, there were no questions about it. Where did I get the money? Nothing like that. Uh, of course it was a small amount, but, um, you do have to wonder. And also I used the, the account with, with the, uh, the crypto account with the company to send money to a crypto wallet that had nothing to do with gambling. It was actually my friend who owned the wallet, um, in another country. He lives in, um, he he lives in continental Europe. And again, no questions. So that to me was, um, the, the moment where, uh, where I realized this, this, this needs to be looked into quite carefully. And I just wondered in, in your research. And this is how we get into the, into the, uh, the academic paper you wrote. In your research, what, what aspects of it concerned financial crime? Um, guarding against money laundering and fraud and stuff like that. Mayra, please.
2: Yeah, I mean, actually what you just said uh, when it comes to money laundering is one of the main reasons the Gambling Commission hasn't uh, outright said oh, you cannot apply to, to accept uh, cryptocurrencies as uh, payment methods, but it's very unlikely that it will be approved because of the anonymity uh, of cryptocurrencies, you're not able to accurately um, assess the source of the funding. You're not able to say where the money is coming from or, or where it's going. Um, so, it's, the Cryptocurrencies are, are well known for being uh, uh, quite closely associated with online crime in, in, in different ways. Uh, Crypto gambling is just uh, one of them, and and one of the reasons that it's, you can't, uh, there is no uh, um, uh, regulated uh, casino, online casino accepting cryptocurrencies. Uh, They tried for a while, but it didn't, I don't think it worked out. They were trying to use third parties, but it didn't last uh, very long. In uh, in another way that you see cryptocurrencies uh, being Closely related to crime is with investments. And I think that's, uh, the, the, the biggest ones, right? We just saw what happened with the, with the, uh, with the exchange and, uh, Binance lost about 500 and, uh, 500 billion po- uh, dollars in, in, in just in hacking. Um, even the FCA has, uh, released, uh, figures when it comes to the number of people that, that report to them they have uh, been scammed by by cryptocurrency companies. They are trying to mitigate that now by registering uh, registering some of these companies, but it seems like there is a lot of delay and uh people are not being able to go through the process very easily. Which is it's not a very good start for this, this road the UK wants to go uh, down. When it comes to regulating cryptocurrencies, but it's at least one step forward because right now people are not even protected against these kinds of, of, of frauds. So it's very difficult to separate cryptocurrency from, from crime because it's almost part of the, the ideological goal of how cryptocurrency started, right? Is decentralized the financial system and um, allow the users to be anonymous. It's, it's part of the, the whole idea. And right now, it's not very clear which direction, um, cryptocurrency backers are going to take when it comes to accepting that they are going to have to compromise in order to, to become regulated. Or if they are just going to say that that's not what if if you're just going to turn cryptocurrency in what we have right now then we don't want it so it's 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 hard to see uh, how how it's going to end up but as it is right now it's understandable why you can't really regulate crypto in gambling or it's very difficult to regulate crypto when it comes to investments it it all comes down to the fact that it's anonymous so it's very difficult
0: it's a structural, a, a structural problem in the end. Yes. Um, Philip, uh, anything to add to that? And, and if not, uh, let's just dive into the, the paper itself and the main findings. And, um, you know, how uh, I would like, if you, if, if it's possible, of course, I would like you to talk a little bit about how the investigation went because you did, you did the research yourself. You signed up to these websites. You recorded the interactions you had and, uh, you know, where the problems arose and stuff like that. And that's just, that's just, you know, gumshoe good old fashioned investigative work, which I love to hear about.
2: Yes, that was quite um that was quite a ride. <laughs> I have to say. Um we've learned so much by just doing that, by just signing up again and again um to forty different uh websites. Just finding the the, the 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 websites we were gonna uh, put in the sample was already quite a challenge because we wanted to be able to look at the most frequently visited ones, So the most uh, which we used as a as a measure, one measure of popularity, and because this. Crypto world, you always have you'd always have to take everything with a grain of salt. Everything you see is not exactly what it is. Um, we we quickly realized that the even the traffic uh, measures using a independent website were skewed uh, quite heavily because there is a lot of um, Pay per click and, and these kinds of advertisements that really skewed the popularity of the website. So we had to try and find, find ways to really understand which ones were the popular ones where people were actually visiting, looking at time spent uh, in the website, etc. And once we had uh, a good sample, signing up to all of them really showed how easy it is. Uh, starting with the fact that it was almost half and half. So half of the sample, even though you're not really supposed to be uh, using uh, any crypto gambling website, we could access from the UK just directly, no problem whatsoever. And with the other half, all we needed was a VPN. I kept putting myself in the position of someone that is very young, a 16, 17-year-old, who's just curious, you know. All they have to do is go on Google and put, how do I access state.com from the UK? There are hundreds of uh, how-to pages explaining how to use a VPN and the best VPNs, etc. cetera. Uh, so about half of the sample we could uh, access this way. And... It was very easy. All the information we used was fictitious, the emails, names, phone numbers. You can generate phone numbers today online. You can go on Google Maps and get random addresses. It's really, really easy. And, you know, kids this day, they're born with, the, with a tablet on their hands. They, are, they, they will be very good at this. It will be very easy. Um, no verification whatsoever. And... I think the most, um, one of the most surprising things was the fact that almost all of them, um, over 95% of them uh, allowed for you to just request a crypto uh, wallet address. No age verification, absolutely nothing. You didn't even have to prove that you actually lived at the address that you said you did. So it was quite a, sh- quite shocking to find these things. Uh, another quite shocking finding was the fact that, uh, we were able to register as a 17 year old in two of the websites, uh, which is uh, really absurd because it's, uh, you know, the website it has an algorithm. It should immediately uh, flag, you know, this is a 17 year old, but not even that kind of precaution, uh, was taken in these two situations so it was quite uh, it was a lot of work and I'm really glad that we pre-registered this study and we made all the videos uh, available so you can actually see uh, while we're looking at it each page that we went through because it was very very thorough work and and I think that's why people were quite interested in, in looking at it because we try to be as thorough as possible
0: right and um philip anything to add to that and on top of that please also i'd like you to talk about the consumer protection aspect which which you mentioned um uh, there, there's multiple failures um on that side of things right
1: um yeah sure um yeah, it was just really wild. Um, this this research. Um, so Myra is the person who visited all the websites, um, recorded all the data. Uh, she really did an absolutely am- amazing job collecting a data from such a large sample of forty websites. Like I know from my own um, personal history of sort of doing this very systematic research of um, coding so many different features of um, you know a given. Uh, Subject of interest, in this case, the crypto gambling websites. I I know how how much work it is. So um, it's uh, it's really great that she did such a good job um, and is continuing in her research going forwards. So, um, yeah, I guess, like, going back to the government white paper and the sort of, you know, um, gambling sites that they regulate, um, the Gambling Commission, right, they've got certain... um, um, licensing conditions with which um, you know there are certain safety procedures that online gambling websites have to have to get a to to um, get a license from the gambling commission um, and basically um, yeah so like the, the the crypto side of all of these websites um, you know isn't regulated by the gambling commission so essentially no matter what. Um, you know steps the implementation of the white paper ends up having in terms of um safer you know making online gambling products safer like these structural characteristics that i mentioned earlier is going to have absolutely no effect on um these crypto gambling operators and um yeah we just we we found um a lot of really shocking stuff um like going back to the sort of Safer gambling messaging, you know, like I, I, I said, there are issues with when the fun stops and take time to think. But, um, you know, when a crypto gambling website did have a safer gambling message, it was often, um, you know, something that was even less good. Um, you know, oftentimes they were putting in their um, sometimes not so subtle suggestions that gambling is a good way to make money. Um, You know, there's there's one very good example that Myra put in the paper, which is like along the lines of, um, yes, gambling, you know, might be something that can uh, provide enormous wealth for you, but it's also something that can be harmful. And you should really consider those potential harms when you're gambling on our website. Um, Another really good one uh, that we had in there was sort of interactions with customer support. So basically, um, you know, there's there's always someone that you can speak to on these websites, whether it's a crypto gambling website or a um, a regulate a gambling commission regulated website. And um, basically, with gambling commission regulated websites, right? Like, um, they're not supposed to take bets from people uh, who are vulnerable, people who are showing clear and obvious signs of gambling disorder, um, and you know. They're not always perfect at that, but they at least try to do a decent job. Well, they try sometimes to do a decent job. Obviously, the Gambling Commission ends up um, fining quite, quite a few of their regulated operators as well. Um, but we, we found in, in the research, the interactions with customer support were really, really bad. I think there was one example where the customer support agent was like, um, like have you considered therapy? Like, Maybe you should go to therapy <laughs> That might be a good idea for you, um, Myra. What were some of the other examples um, that you remember? Yes, there was support? another
2: uh, one. I think the one, the most interesting one, uh, um, was a the response was just a how to uh, gamble on the website. So like a tutorial.
0: No, yeah, sure. uh, just you know, to fill to to fill the the space. It's worth mentioning for anyone who 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 doesn't find this quite obvious that um, gambling with crypto is actually gambling to the power of two because owning crypto is already a gamble, right? It's the the value of crypto just goes up and down so much that um, you know it's a major risk. It's no way to store value, and this has been proven time and again with uh, with major studies, major. Uh, Interventions from uh, from central bankers and experts, and so when you gamble with crypto, even if you win new crypto, that doesn't mean the value of of what you put in is going to be the same. So you might still lose money even if you're winning. Um, right? The
2: email we sent was quite clear that um, the person was uh, struggling. This user was struggling with with uh, impaired control. And so we got uh, the one about, oh, con- contact a therapist immediately, uh, was all they said. Uh, the other one, uh, just put the entire responsibility on this user by saying, oh, you should take steps to block your own credit cards and your own bank cards. Um, even though, uh, it's, I could still use cryptocurrency if I wanted to. It was a crypto, uh, website that accepted cryptocurrencies. And another one was this one that they just sent a, a tutorial of how to gamble uh, on the website. So I think the main uh, thing that was quite um, interesting to see was the how inundated uh, the inbox was by um, gambling advertisement, even from the websites that said, oh, uh, we understand that you are struggling right now, so we'll block your account or we'll delete your account. And yet they continue to send sometimes two or three emails per day. Uh, and when that was compared to uh, a previous study that was also done, but with traditional uh, gambling operators in the UK and in Ireland as well, it was High different percentage of of operators that continue to send emails after that contact. So it's it, it in every way possible. It was worst uh, when it comes to safer gambling practices and and consumer protection. And like Philip said, there is nothing in the white paper that will be able to tackle this yet. At least yet. Uh, I hope it doesn't take another uh, you know ten years uh, or how long it is for. For this to get some attention because it does right now. The reality is if we continue to only worry about what is regulated, a lot will fall, uh, uh, through the, through the sides. You know, it's the internet is here to stay crypto gambling. I think it's clear to it's here to stay and more will have to be done when it comes to protecting people, especially young people
1: and, and vulnerable people. Yeah, the, um, uh, sorry, another point that I'd like to add there is uh, around the self-exclusion. So, um, you know, if you're a disordered gambler in the UK, you can self-exclude from online gambling websites. So you can basically, there's a single service that you sign up to and that basically prevents you from being able to gamble online with any of the, the regulated big operators, um, and it, it wasn't as it wasn't so much a part of this current research, but um, it's something that Myra discovered in a sort of broader um, look at this area in that we see examples of disordered gamblers on social media who talk about, um, you know, that they they self excluded from all the main gambling operators. But um, they know that these crypto gambling operators um, will will take their bets anyway, right? And so, you know, there were very quite a few messages on, for example, Reddit of people saying like, please, please, like I really need help. Like I, I've self-excluded from the main operators, but I know that um you know I can just um get on stake within a few minutes and be able to gamble again. And I've actually relapsed um really quite badly because I know that this crypto Gambling is available any any time. The thought comes into my head, so um, you know that's definitely something that um, you know wasn't in that first paper that we looked at. But um, you know, just the more and more time you spend looking at this area, the the more and more um, worrying signs you see.
0: Right. Well, that's interesting, and uh, I'm going to post a link to the full paper for for people to read properly if if they're interested. And um, I suppose because it's just coming up to an hour now, uh, can I ask you both about your plans for the future and whether you, um, you know, whether you're going to follow up this research with with more investigations and are you going to stay on on this topic and um, you know just um, just what to, what you're preparing next? Thank you. Um, yes, uh,
2: definitely. The plan is to stay. Uh, In this topic, there is a lot uh, to be done. And from September, I'm starting uh, my PhD at the University of Bristol. So I'm going to work with uh, Philip as my supervisor. And we're going to focus on um, mainly crypto gambling, but overall how emerging technologies are coming together with, with gambling And I think the interesting part as well is that we're going to look at both Brazil and the UK. So uh, both countries are are at very different stages um, when it comes to not just gambling, but online gambling, crypto gambling. So it should uh, um, reveal quite a lot of interesting differences um, in terms of culture and exposure to gambling. So yes, definitely, we want to be able to bring as much as possible to the literature in a way that when, you know, policymakers are, at least when they feel they're ready to look at this and there is enough, at least there will be um, enough evidence for them to look at. And that's how we want to contribute.
1: Um, yeah, uh, I, um, I uh, um, I'm really looking forward to working with Myra on those topics. Um, I, I I find what we're doing now um, really interesting as well. Like I think it's it's really good to um, you know not just write up your findings in journals but communicate them as well. And um, I suppose that's one of the really frustrating aspects of of the current research that we're talking about because um you know the the findings are very clear very shocking and um i think when we started off we, we we thought it would be a sort of very trivial um issue to sort of raise wider awareness of um but i think that the issue that we've had with that is just how complicated the area is you know online gambling is complicated enough as it is but um when you add in crypto um, you know things like uh virtual private networks vpns um all that kind of stuff um it makes it a lot harder uh for people who are who are you know not not so deeply in this space to understand so um Mate, that's one reason why you know i really like your investigative reporting on this same topic and um i very much hope that's something that you can continue to do more in future uh, for me, in terms of research, um, yeah, look, I'm, I'm just going to carry on um, doing as much research as I can into gambling. Um, I think, you know, like like has come up in this interview, um, you know, there, there are um, issues in, in the regulated online gambling space as well. Um, you know, it's definitely not perfect there. Still, it... It seems to be somewhat safer than crypto gambling. Um, But I think that, you know, we should really try and raise standards as much as we can across the board. Um, You know, sometimes the UK gambling industry has a bit of a disingenuous rhetoric. Right. So, um, you know, they say that you can't regulate conventional gambling operators too hard or else people will switch to um black market operators um of which some of these crypto gambling operators are um but i i i don't i don't buy that for me personally um i think one of the issues is that as um harmful as crypto gambling is is that you know conventional online gambling is harmful as well and there's a lot a lot more people in you know gambling online currently with um you know bet365.com other um convention operators than than um the crypto gambling space um so yeah i guess it's um kind of what i was alluding to earlier on um gambling just keeps evolving so quickly and um as a researcher yeah i just enjoy doing my best to to keep up to date with with um all of these developments
0: right well it sounds like we're gonna have plenty of reason to stay in contact and um i wish you all the best of luck yeah i suppose it's a double entendre this time good luck with with the gambling and um you know uh thanks again for taking the time uh keep keep fighting and uh, keep up the good work thank you very much
2: thank you you so much for inviting us been a pleasure Bye.